0: Welcome to the MFA Made for Agriculture podcast. Here are your hosts, Adam Jones and Cameron Horine. All
1: right, folks. Well, welcome to another episode of the Made for Agriculture podcast. My name is Adam Jones. And I'm Cameron Horine. And it's fall. I don't know. Is it fall? I think it's fall. Close. Uh, It's close enough. Uh, September 20th, right? Something like that. We're close to that. We I don't know exactly what schedule we're going to release um, some episodes in, but Cameron and I had a discussion not that long ago with, with the director of our plant foods division at MFA, and we had a really great discussion about fertilizer and logistics concerns and things like that. And it, it really kind of spurred a thought process where we probably should discuss some of our t- fertility, some of our fertility applications and when we make those and why we make those. We really didn't have time in that discussion to get to that. And so today we've got a couple other guests sitting down with us, and hopefully we can uh, have some of those conversations today. So, guys, I'm gonna let you introduce yourselves. Uh, we do have one return guest, our very first guest. Our very first guest has returned.
2: Yeah. So, Thad, you want to introduce/slash reintroduce yourself? Sure. Yeah. Thad Becker, Precision Agronomy Manager at MFA, and uh, yeah, I'll just yeah, returning guest. So. Fertility is what I focus on, so I mean, really, but it's it's precision, agronomy is in my title. I do try to, I do very much software training focused, and how do we, but fertility is probably where my heart lies a lot with the precision program. So. Sure.
1: Yep. We, we knew
2: that. That's why we brought you in
1: here. That's mm-hmm. again. So, <laughs> so thanks for agreeing to come back with us today. And then we got a new guest. So Davin, you want to introduce yourself?
3: Yeah, uh, my name is Davin Harms. I'm the district precision manager for districts three and six, which is basically kind of the northeast quadrant of the state. Uh, And I have a group of precision specialists that work directly at the locations that I just try to help give them what they need to help the farmer be successful uh, to building fertility recommendations, and making sure we're doing a good job placing fertility and helping these guys grow more bushels and uh, improve their bottom line.
1: And again, you know, Davin's not just a random guy that was walking in the by in the hallway. We we try to do our best to uh, put some thought process into to who we have come on the podcast, and uh, definitely try to bring in uh, who we feel are our experts on the on the topic. So appreciate both of you guys being there. So as we roll into fall, we've got crop coming off, obviously. So let's talk about. We had a pretty decent year. We're going to have some pretty decent removal rates. So let's talk just kind of generally about fall fertility and fertility planning. You know, I, I know there's some guys who probably have put fertility down in the fall. Some growers do, some growers do it right before planting. You know, there's kind of a, a smattering of, of strategies out there. But as as far as adding nutrients in the fall, what what can we add to the crop that's still gonna be there the following year? Kind of what nutrients are we looking to add there? Start there.
3: Yeah, uh, I guess I'll talk about that in a second. Uh, generally. P and K is what we focus on in the fall, and we feel like we can do that because they're not uh, mobile in the soil. Really, uh, you you put them out there, and you expect to have them the next year, uh, unless you have a erosion problem or something. So we try, maybe in some of our our bottom ground, especially along the Missouri River, we don't maybe put on a lot of phosphorus in the fall because it can get tied up with their higher pHs and some of the stuff going on. But for the most part, fall P and K is 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 really is really good. It's going to be there for us. It, Gives that product an opportunity, maybe to start working. Um, if you use something like Croplex, which is our product, that's a, a kind of an enhanced phosphate product that's got the sulfur, zinc, and boron in it. With the two forms of sulfur, you can get out there and kind of start working and, and, and starting to become breaking down some of that stuff that's not immediately available, so it's available for the crop too. So I think it's a it's a good plan to get it out there and start start working for you. Right. Right. Uh,
1: because most of that, most of the sulfur in those premixed products is um, is elemental. Correct? Yeah, and it takes a while for that to become available. Correct. So with the, the okay. two so
3: forms, right? It's a good product to have out there. Put it out there in the fall. Hopefully, it's going to be ready to go to work in the spring when you get to plant.
0: Yeah, I was just going to say logistics wise, you know, fall P and K definitely helps out well because you know when it comes to springtime, everybody's can, can be in a rush, and if you're trying to wait on getting your P and K,
3: I mean. Thad, Thad and Adam both farm. I can I can expect us to say that they would not be happy if they're waiting on a, a spreader truck to get their P and K on them. They could have done it in the fall, but no, they're waiting for it in the spring so they can't get in there and plant corn.
2: Yeah, nobody wants to put on P and K behind the planter. Well, you don't. You just it's not a good idea. Number one, but yeah, but yeah. So I, I mean, in my mind, yeah, there's there's several reasons you fertilize in the fall. I mean, you guys have talked to Damas, you some other things in this previous podcast, but yeah, I mean, it's all about. Traditionally, prices kind of are lower in the fall, higher in the spring. Logistically, it's easier. Typically, conditions in the field are drier in the fall, so you're dealing with less compaction, less issues there. Just like Davin said, depending on the source, really focused on putting the right source out in the fall, making sure what products are out there. But P and K are great products. Put out in the fall, like you said, outside of some certain limited situations, they're going to be there for you. We're getting them into the soil profile. They're going to be readily available for that crop next spring. And so there's just not just tons of reasons not to get your P and K out in the fall. Like I said, we're very cognizant of source and making sure that, you know, the sulfur source has some elemental in it.
3: Yeah, and so, we don't use a whole lot of like dap in the, in the yeah. fall either because- that's got some nitrogen in it that's not going to be there. So we focus a lot on MAP if yeah. we're going to do something, and maybe a MAP and Croplex blend. We yeah. see that a lot too. Yeah, okay. see some
2: research as TSP this year too. Yeah, that's because true. The Price came down on it some, and so that's a non-nitrogen containing phosphate product, and it kind of became competitive. Yeah, this year. So
0: can
1: you get for folks who just aren't familiar with all the acronyms that y'all just threw out there? Can you guys go into just real quick, what all that stuff was that you just referenced?
3: DAP, uh, DAP, uh, diammonium phosphate. Okay, um, has the eighteen forty six O as opposed to MAP twelve fifty two O for your analysis there. So there's the thought process that sometimes in the spring people want to use that DAP maybe because so they get a little bit more nitrogen. They feel like they're getting it thrown in. It's not really the case, but they they feel better using it sometimes. Then you said triple super phosphate TSP. Okay which is just 046-0. 46%. So, and like so for no.
2: some folks probably aren't familiar with it, that when we say 046O or 1846O or they haven't called it 1252O, those products are all expressed in their percentages of plant available nutrients. And so and it always runs in the order of N, N P, and K, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. And then any other nutrients they have are usually tagged on at the end and usually have the letter behind them of what that nutrient is. So right. if it's got a 10 with an S behind it, that's 10% sulfur is what that product is. So when you say DAP, it's 18% nitrogen, 46% phosphorus, 0% potassium.
3: You get your Croplex 1240 010 Yeah. Yeah.
2: So yeah. that's the
3: 10-sulfur-1-zinc-0.3 boron. Right. Following your other NPK. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah, And we mentioned a lot of things about sulfur too here. And just there's two forms of sulfur to be aware of when you're fertilizing. Elemental and the sulfate form. Ultimately, what the plant uptakes is the sulfate form. But the issue with it is it's leach. It will leach. It's mobile in the soil. Um, and so we can't put it out in the fall. It's going to be gone in the spring. It's no different than... Uh, than our nitrogen, than sampling for nitrogen in the fall or putting out <laughs> ammonia nitrate down in the fall. It's just not gonna be there in the spring. Right. It's gonna be moved, or at least we can't count on it. Sure. Maybe if we lived in the Dakotas where it was and had 14 inches of annual rainfall, it right. would be a different story. But but so the solution to that is other forms of sulfur, and most typically that's elemental sulfur, which is has to be weathered and it gradually reacts in the soil and becomes sulfate and that process takes time and usually it's timed up pretty well if we put it out in the fall that sulfate is becoming available or it's turning into sulfate as that crop grows and so it's a great form for fall time frame we've got some other sources out there too you may hear about uh, gypsum as a sulfate source and it falls somewhere in between okay elemental and the sulfate forms so So Damon,
1: as we look kind of back through um, most in most fertility planning with most growers, um, walk us through kind of the fall versus spring thought process. Why why folks typically make one decision or the other? Um, You you kind of alluded to the fact that I I think you think that getting some of these products out there in the fall is what makes the most sense. Um, You talked about some of the logistics things. So talk to me about the, the thought process that most of those growers are going through and then kind of how you have those fertility conversations and um, maybe looking at fall versus spring applications.
3: I think we're just trying to see where it fits on their operation based on their crop rotation and uh, their own soil uh, profiles that they have, whether they've maybe they've got some Creek bottom stuff and, and whatnot that, that could tend to get out in the spring. We'll focus on that as much. Um, but we, in the fall, we we pretty much we've got enough producers that want to do spring only that we chase the guys that are in the fall, and we just know that they want to do it in the fall, so that's what we go after. We try to there's no right. no, no reason to try to row upstream. If you got a guy that is totally dead set against it, well, that's fine. We're we're gonna focus on these, and then we'll try to pick that up better. So we just got to do a good job of of planning and stuff, and it's it, it's it's some leadership uh saying hey we, we think we should do this we've moved some stuff to like even sampling in the spring uh, ahead of the next uh fall like uh, some people that didn't really want to wait all that time whether it's only like five or seven days for us to if they call us when they get the crop harvested we're in there the next day sampling it we send it off we get the stuff back, the information back we build the recommendations that could be five to seven days well some people want even quicker turnaround okay so we might we move some of those people to sampling in the spring because one of the best times to pull soil samples is when we're planting because i mean we're planting corn like the, the crop conditions soil conditions are pretty good right so we can so we can be timing that up so it helps us get behind that combine quicker okay i got you i got you
1: So, so again, there's just, there's a lot of logistical things at play there. So knowing, um, we've kind of gone through some of the products and, and and whatnot. So when you're building a rep for somebody, um, whether that's fall versus spring, talk to me about what your thought process is behind putting that together and, and kind of the input parameters that, that you need there or, or that you're looking at.
3: So, where we can, we're transitioning people to use our yield data piece because I feel like that's a very important part of removal. So you're talking about a, a fertility plan. We want to have in mind what what is going where, what our yield goals are going to be before the crop is ever harvested. We try to do that in the in the later summer, okay. um, before before we've harvested. Have an idea what what's going to happen, then try to capture that yield data very quickly so that we can make make that piece part of it because. We all know that yield is variable it's something that said all the time you know we don't in many of our recommendations that were based off a flat rate of removal and it's not flat by any means so we right. if we can pull that yield data piece back on there and put it in conjunction with our soil testing points it tells us where we're low in phosphorus or low in potassium and uh, pull some stuff out that way. It allows us to plan. It allows us to have a plan going into the, into the season. It allows our location to plan and for us to get a kind of an order of operation so that we can get everybody serviced in their geographic location to try to help every farmer instead of just a few.
0: Yeah, you know, and I would say were going I, for, I would say you know just like you said re, the yield removal piece is really critical because every year is different. You know we think about you may have a drought year where you're crop is not nearly as good. So maybe you didn't pull off as much P and K that year. So, you know, maybe that's a, you know, I I know that Adam is at some point going to want to get into price of fertilizer. So maybe if you had a dry, you know, a drought, maybe the fertilizer price is high, you know, maybe you can adjust for that based on what your crop removal was. Also, you know, think about this year, you know, some of our bottom grounds specifically where they planted corn, it was flooded out and then they switched to beans. So your crop removal is going to be different. So you may have to adjust what your fertility plan was Based on what your crop actually was and what the removal piece, you know, came from, instead of what your you know you originally had planned. So,
3: yeah, and I, I don't know how far we are into this podcast, but I can't believe this is I think the first time that I'm going to say NutriTrack or NutriTrack system, because that's what's nice about it is that when you do make those switches or, or trying to have a plan, is we use that four year sampling rotation to to make sure that we know what's going on out there. And if we had to change stuff up, like you said, switch to a different crop or whatever, we can kind of. Uh, reset we get a we get another you know grade card uh, report to essentially know where we're at what progress we've made where we need to improve uh, how we can keep moving that forward so that we can continue to help these farmers produce more bushels to build hopefully their bottom line and 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 go forward that way correcting ph is a big part too
2: obviously but okay yeah no i think i like that i mean they haven't puts it very well I mean it's it's all about having a plan and trying to make fertility a year-round conversation I feel like that's what the NutriTrack system is about is how do we get out of the habit of my fertility program is what I did last year what I did the year before and it's just I always put out an old 120 120 with 15 sulfur and one pound of zinc in front of my corn crop and then have fertilized my corn and beans for the next two years and then we do it again two years from now I just don't have to worry about it you know and but it's but there's a lot more that goes into it we we talk for hours about fertility about different things and that's what I like is just like Devin said just thinking about things and you can adjust and knowing what as just you get used to the fact that your plans are going to change a little bit every year depending sure. on rotation, yields, and just the different – you're able to roll with the punches and have and have a plan. And
3: It helps us with that, like you said, traditional mindset where you, you fertilize in front of your corn and just let the beans just get whatever they can out there. Well, people want to talk about our corn yields going up. I, I venture to say our bean yields have been even better maybe mm. um, or have the potential to be better and – if we're not taking that into account whenever we're building that recommendation, we still do a lot of two-year spreads where we spread just in front of one crop or the other. Right, yeah. But as long as you're doing a good job, you can manage that. But you need to have that conversation because a lot, it, it, it tends to get, that bean crop tends to get forgotten about. And then you want to throw weed in there and then you've got a whole nother animal that you've got to think about if, if weed's part of your rotation. So just NutriTrack allows us to have that year-round conversation always knowing what's going on i think uh president eisenhower said that uh the plan is worthless but planning is is everything just just going through the planning process to know to have this these things thought out like if i do if i do this what am i going to do here it allows us to to have an idea on where we're going to go if we do need to change the plan because it's it's like a game plan of football you yep. never get to follow it to a T. Something's going to happen. You're going to have to switch sure. up. So, But going through that process allows us to be able to pivot and do something different.
1: Yeah. That's, that's a great quote. And I, I always say that in um, in any conversation regarding agronomy, conservation, whatever. Just like sitting down and having the conversation is is where the rubber meets the road on, on those things. And, and just kind of talking through things. It kind of goes back to, I think we've talked about on the podcast before that um, – kind of invention and inclusion of of a yield monitor into most grower systems has just significantly changed the way we look at things. Um, There's much less you know, adding up numbers on a settlement sheet from an elevator and dividing by your total number of acres and much more looking at exactly where those bushels are coming from and trying to understand why. Because, I mean, when I look at it, that's what I'm interested in. Why are those bushels coming from there? How come they're not coming from a different part of the field? So it, it allows a lot of those conversations to be had.
3: And we're slowly, I think, feel like kind of overcoming a little bit. The, the people like to have that pretty monitor changing colors in the harvester to now where we're actually starting to use the data more yeah. and more and more. Yeah. Um, I had one location this past year that did almost, or one group of locations did like 40,000 acres and almost half of them were using yield data, which
1: is just phenomenal.
3: We've got to keep doing that because that's the really the best way to place fertility is right. getting those two pieces together.
1: Right, right. And when you understand your overall crop removal in that way, um, because that's what we're essentially shooting for, a lot of those old, oh, one, you know, whatever, 120, mm-hmm. like you were talking about, that's what that's based on is somebody's yield estimate from, you know, somebody's average yield estimate. And they figured out what removal was and they're trying to put back what they took, which is which is good. I mean, that's a that's a fair fertility plan, okay? And that
3: was the best thing we could do at the time.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yes. Yeah, but our yield potentials have changed so much since those were originally done. Right. And the other thing is, is, to Thad's point, we're always willing to change. Like, you change varieties of seed every year. You're willing to change. You know, you're willing to adapt and change with the times of certain things like that. Why are we not willing to adapt to change our fertility plan? So that we can take those new varieties that maybe we're pushing and push them to the limit. Because varieties, let's be honest, varieties are getting better every every year. They're coming out with new varieties. The yield potential is better. So why are we not adapting our fertility plan to be able to express that to its fullest extent?
3: Yeah, and the the, the yield piece helps us bring that back in where we don't really have to think about what. I mean, we know that our yields are going up, but we don't really have to think about what they're doing. Correct. Because we just put the yield on there, and it, it that's what accounts for it. Exactly. And we don't even really specifically, like we don't just, okay, this is what, this is what the yield was. We're not just shooting for the same yield as last year. We're trying to, to make that go this way. And since the yield is all a a correlation of like what was, did 200, we'd like to push that to 220. So then we kind of maybe put a percent, you know, some percentage on top of that to make sure we're trending in the right direction. We just don't want to be static.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree completely. And so, I would be remiss if I didn't add this and and I'll, I'll let you do it if you'd like to have or I'll be a good conservation guy and talk about um, when we're placing fall fertility and, and why that's better. Um, So Thad kind of alluded to it a little bit earlier, but if you look at most of our trade territory climatically, okay, when do we get our big rains? Our runoff events? When do our runoff events happen? Yes, in spring. Right. Not yeah, exactly. Not not typically September, October, and November. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we run, if you look at any uh, nutrient flume data, meaning any data of when nutrients are leaving our crop fields, they're leaving the crop field anytime there's water leaving the crop field. Mm-hmm. Does doesn't like there's a lot of other factors at play that can affect how much, right? So we don't want to go into all that, but essentially. We're losing nutrients every time water is leaving the field down the waterway all that kind of stuff so means so we need to target our applications when that's not going to happen and like like thad said typically uh going into this time of the year dry hot dry august september uh, our profile is not full of moisture already okay like it is typically coming out of winter and so when our profile is not full of moisture already it's much more apt to absorb um, and infiltrate water that comes. If we're infiltrating water, we're also infiltrating the nutrients that we put on top of the soil or incorporate it into the soil, however we did it. And so uh, we wanna time those applications where we can infiltrate that fertilizer prill with the water that comes with it and not just scoot it right off the field. So typically for most of our trade territory, fall application does a much, much better job of doing that. And those are expensive little granules. So if, if I'm going to pay to put them out there, I want them to, you know, we just talked about how precise we're being about placing them. My goodness, we want them to be where we put them for a reason, right? Yep. It doesn't matter how accurate the spreader truck is, if we wash them all to one side of the field. So so let's let's do it right. And that's that's why we talk about fall fertility is, is better environmentally. So. I
3: think it fits in with that 4R idea, right rate, right, right time, right source, right place, you know. Right,
1: right. It, yeah, certainly goes along with the right timing. of. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, so the way I, sometimes you'll see, you'll hear people talk about four-hour principles and, and talk about right time for, right time of nutrient uptake, which I think for things like nitrogen and sulfur, like like what Thad has talked about, um, makes sense. But I also see the right time as right time environmentally as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like what i talked about you know is that right or wrong thad no, no yeah i don't, don't, know. Sure. I, don't All mean, right. I, you look like you had thoughts <laughs> there I, I often think about that no, for sorry, our yeah. piece
3: <laughs> more on the right time environmentally more than i think about it economically or, or whatever yeah. I, I i think they can go hand in hand but i just don't uh, yeah i always think about environmentally on on just on that part so i don't i don't I don't even know why that's just what's yeah. always stuck out to me well i'm i'm
1: glad that's the way you think Davin. that makes me it doesn't make me feel better <laughs> 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 so let's talk a little bit about this year specifically. Um, we've got some, you know, like we've talked about, um, you know, with price. Some people change their uh, their phosphorus sources that they were carrying. There's there's been some shakeups in the market. We we talked a lot with Demoss, and like I said, I don't know that that'll air before or after this podcast. So I'll go into it a little bit. You know, last fall we had uh, extremely low fertilizer prices, um, and so adding some of those fertility and making some of those builds um, fit better in the budget is, is probably the best way to describe it. This fall with with higher commodity prices, um, we've seen a lot more world demand for fertility, and and so that's driven prices up fairly significantly. And so how do you look at that? When we pull some soil tests, it can get overwhelming for folks, right, Davin? I mean, yep. I, sometimes that we, we're we're getting soil data on some of these fields that just haven't been looked at for a long time, and so it can seem like a big hill to overcome. So walk me through your thought process of of kind of budgeting for that fertility and or Thad jump in, whoever, and and, and kind of how that maybe changes with the what we're able to do and when, I guess. So I I
3: tend to think about it as as we know that we need fertility to really grow grow a good crop and take advantage uh, when we have good prices like this year. The people that are reaping the benefits of this year, are people that have been in NutriTrack, done a really good job fertilizing and stuff like yep, that. I agree. Whenever you have a year that we feel like that the, the price may be uh, higher on some of that stuff, if you want, we can shift some of that stuff away from build. Uh, it's not ideal, but you've also got to understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. I think that's just the the important piece to part to important conversation to have is when a farmer comes and says, okay, I want to raise 200 bushel corn. You give him the recommendations. He says, no, I can't afford that. we got to, we're going to change it here. I said, that's fine. But Mr. Farmer, your yield goal is no longer 200 bushel corn It's now 160 bushel corn because of where we've, and, and that's a fine goal to have, but it's just making sure we know that when we change these recommendations, they're not, they're based off of science. We know what is, is removed on these, you know, we pretty accurately, we know what, what's gonna be removed. So there's just always a, a something to take into account whenever we change these recommendations. When you're talking about uh, the price of the of the product, the, the fertility you're putting out there, the only way that we can decrease our cost of production per bushel is by raising more bushels with the same amount of fertility. Okay, so if we place it better and we do a better job having a plan, putting it out at the right time, we can take advantage even at these higher prices to still lower our cost of production where we can to get as much money out of that fertility dollar that we put out there. I think that's what you try to focus on. Um, because we can't as an individual, as a co-op, even affect the price that we're having to pay for map or dap or crop like no. so we just we deal with it, we move forward, we acknowledge it, and then we make a plan, what are we sure. going to do to move forward? I think the thing to focus is on is lowering that cost of production per bushel, which we do by better placement, having our plan. Yeah, Dad, would you agree with that?
2: No, yeah, I agree. It's been... Because I've been thinking about it a lot. I mean, we've had several discussions. Yep. That's not necessarily heated, but not necessarily eye to eye on how we felt about even discussing... I don't know. You know, I... Because here's the thing. Fertilities, and it depends on product. It's, it's such a complex deal. I view... Fertility is an investment in this year's crop, but it's beyond that even. In some extent, when we start talking about P and K, it's an investment in your ground. And so I've I, I was kind of been sitting here thinking about it in our conversations and how I feel about it and trying to compose my thoughts about what, how I would adjust, you know, depending year to year. And how yeah. do you, because you kind of got to look at it at a, <clears throat> I don't view it any different than Maybe my 401k stock portfolio. And it uh it is that investment. And we're and again, the same thing, stock market goes up and down, just like fertilizer prices go up and down. And so I don't necessarily adjust how much I put into my 401k or how I don't necessarily yeah, I don't necessarily adjust. I've probably got a set budget there. I'm working Sure. You know, typically, typical grower is going to have an operating note out there. We're going to be pretty fixed on what I can invest on P and K. Now, maybe I've got some conversations with my bankers. I've got a plan going forward, and I may up my fertility investment because I feel like it's a good investment for my farm, and I've seen the results from that. That's what I. That's you know what I feel like we've done a lot with the NutriTrack systems we've gone from spending. You now I've got fifty dollars or forty dollars to spend on P and K per acre this year. Maybe up to sixty or seventy or eighty dollars. So for doing this two-year spread, you know, maybe it's a couple hundred dollar, or not a couple hundred, you know, double that. So maybe it's one hundred and forty or something like that that I'm sure. investing in that. And so I'm rambling here, so you guys may want to cut me off because I'm trying to <clears throat> think how I would do that. But yeah. but what I try and do is look at it as a whole farm portfolio. Then yes, and that's what I like getting in is to get that plan together, just like we talked about earlier. So we've got a plan we've put together this summer, and we know what our goal is. If we were gonna do everything based on our soil test, this is what we would do, and now we get down and we look at price. I know what I can physically horse, what I'm comfortable with putting on my operating note and managing debt-wise for the next year until I get my return on my investment when the harvester rolls in the fall of 22. So now that I've got my plan together, that's, you know, that was the thing, you know, that plan's, like Davin said, it's it's worthless. But that time we've looked, we know, because especially if we've been involved, I don't feel like we did a very good job of explaining NutriTrack. If somebody's new, may not have heard of it, but, but what it is, is a system to manage fertility, take soil samples, and in effect, make that investment allocation by saying... This field has super low soil tests. The yield potential seems to be pretty high in the past. We probably, based on those two factors, we need to invest a lot more fertility here versus I've got a low yielding field that maybe is in a creek bottom that has some, that you know floods out from year to year, and I've got some high fertility there already. We can afford to save some there. Right. Once we kind of allocate that portfolio by using some tools, soil sampling, yield histories, we can start to say, okay, my overall budget for my farm, I'm not going to get hung up on it. It's very emotional when we see, oh crap, I'm calling for $200 an acre of fertilizer on, there's no way to make that return on investment on that piece of the field. But what we got to look at is that field has a lot more potential to have a return on that investment because fertility is likely the limiting factor there. And so I I think you got to look at it as an overall farm plan and then start to allocate things. Okay, my overall farm cost is gonna be 20% higher this fall. Is that an investment I'm willing to make? And I gotta look at where I'm at with my tax planning. Again, that's where this plan, we need to be talking to our accountants, our bankers, and thinking about this. Okay, was Okay, yeah, I'm not comfortable with that 30% increase in my fertility budget this year so so i'm gonna have to start cutting somewhere and so that's where the conversations really start and we start looking at our fields and saying what are we doing here yields are up this year okay yeah and then start to make those allocations or yields you know this is where i think having that conversation with a local expert in fertility to start zoning in and seeing this is the fields where we can make some impact yeah, we've got quite a bit of extra build here. We can probably maybe hold off building that for a year or two, and, and we can cut back a little bit here and save you some. Here's a field that's been underperforming. It has fairly high fertility. Let's cut it. You know, I don't know. You know, yeah, those think, allocations are all going to be different. I think that's really a great. really got to get into your plan, but you got to look at your entire portfolio. Yeah, I think
3: that's a great point Is is – Farmers are in this for the long haul. They're they're trying to spread their risk out over, I think, many years and building that fertility. But yes. I think that hit it where he said, "There's we've, we know we've got these fields that can do better than what they've doing, what they have been doing. Let's so really try and push those." And some of our stuff that's a little meaner, a little tougher. Maybe we maybe we shift a little bit around. But that's what's great about the NutriTrack system is it allows us to to shift that here, change our change what we're doing.
0: Yeah, right. Because like you like that said, you know you're. Fertility budget, you know, maybe 20% increase this year, just because the prices are higher, but maybe by allocating it out and you knowing that you're affecting, maybe this field that has better potential, but you know, you're trying to hit that limiting factor. Maybe we're going to push that yield bush, that yield increase, probably not 20%, but you're going to push it some. So that's going to help offset some of that 20% of the overall fertility because you're, you're taking the fields that you know have the best potential and possibly helping to push your yield potential. So in the end, um, you have more more grain to sell to help offset those costs.
3: Yeah, and we've got that that, that price volatility on it. Kind of like you, Doogie. I, I grew up more on like a cattle farm. Like that's what my, my folks did more. My daddy always said you you can't get out of cattle whenever the price is really low, and then try to get back in whenever it's really high. You've just you've just missed everything. So you just kind of got to get in there and keep making the best decisions to to ride it out when it's low, and then really really hit it good whenever the prices are up. And I think that's what we've had the ability to do. Um, some of the, you know, the, the growers, like back in 2014, um, maybe 2016, we had some really good, good corn yields. They really were able to take advantage of it because they were in NutriTrack and then we were putting fertility in the
1: right places. Right. Right. And that, I think that's the key is just making sure that when we make, that, I think Zad nailed it when he said it's an emotional decision, right? Mm-hmm. When I say, okie dokie, spread that that's a very emotional decision for me. And I, there's no way I'm the only grower that's that way. No, And so it's knowing, it's knowing that we're pulling the trigger on the right trigger. Um, And and that's where the soil testing and all that kind of comes in to where when I make the emotional decision to use that part of my crop budget for fertility, that i'm doing the right thing for where we're putting that and i'm not just saying well divide it by the total number of acres and throw it out there you know and without gets... having
3: something like NutriTrack in place where you're taking those soil samples how do you know that you're putting the right oh, yeah. out there yeah. Yeah. or in the right spots no, yeah no yeah. like the, especially whenever fertility gets higher we have to do a better job placing it and that's what this NutriTrack allows us to do yes yeah. place fertility better
0: yeah and i think you know the other thing you know just fertility i feel like a lot of times when budgets start to get tight fertility is probably one of the first things that gets cut you know sometimes we think about well what are our inputs oh uh, let's just go ahead and cut fertility well we've talked about it in podcasts i know we've had lots of discussions before if you don't have the right fertility you're not starting off with the right base to begin with so you know we've we've, we've talked about planting we've talked about how you have to have the right conditions when you start planting but before you put that seed in the ground, which is one of the most expensive inputs we have, is the price of seed. But if you're paying for that high price seed and you're putting it in the ground, you don't have a good base, you know, setup. You're already limiting yourself at that factor to begin and with. And maybe,
3: so, maybe even right before that fertility, the P and K part. Get your pH right. Fix your pH. Yes. That is that is the building block of all of it. Is making sure that that is sure. right. That's why it's so important to take those samples every four years. Is get yeah, the pH right. Kind of everything in sync. Yeah, and then that that builds on it. Like you said, if you put a seed out there, and we don't have those things
1: right, we have not set it up to to do the best job that it can producing yeah. those bushels. Right. Well, I mean, it's it's just it's a balancing act, and and I, we've it covered is. it. It's just like I, you know, it, I know it's a long term investment. I still have to be in business though, right, to make that investment. And if I go out of business, then somebody else is gonna. Yeah, that's a last the investment. Thing,
3: that's a last thing. That's so, the last thing we want to lead you to do. Yeah, is to
1: go exactly. Out business. So, I mean, I'm, but I, 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 yeah, that's probably overstated. But that's that's kind of my point in the in the budgeting process. So just real quick, I, tell me your thought process. Then, if I'm looking at a variable rate rec that I don't think I can squeeze in my budget this year, okay, what's the best way to trim that back a little bit? Is it to cap it where i'm not putting on those heavy rates in the high build areas or do i incrementally decrease it because that that's something i've personally struggled with a little bit and i'm really really interested in what you guys what you guys's thoughts are on it to be honest
3: my thoughts have always been let's stretch out that build year just just because so we can make sure that we've got the ability to, to have it in the right place um for for where the potential is uh, and I'm thinking about that more if you're in a yield we're using yield data to, to really know where we're going to okay. be So we've got the we've got the fertility piece but but let's not limit our upward potential because of there again we don't want to we don't want to limit that but maybe in the years then you can't do that year after year at some no. point you've got to come back it, yes. it's, at some point you've got to come back and balance that That's exactly right. but if you're if if you've got to do that I, that's that's the way I think about it. Is maybe going to a six year build instead of a four year build. Okay, and then I don't like doing that, but I know that, that sometimes that's the that's the part of it we've got to. Yeah, those we've are the business decisions that
1: have yes. to be made at times. Yeah, Thad, what are you? What are your thoughts?
2: So yeah, I mean it's. So here's the thing: it's very difficult to a good nutrient planning strategy is going to vary a lot on understanding the whole overall perspective they feel oh what's our P versus our K can we is our K in good enough shape we can invest more in the P maybe we need to concentrate on the K but, yeah, that's, but overall yeah. you know I will I traditionally have taken the approach and, and you know I'm glad I'm you know there's going to be three agronomists in the room there's going to be three different opinions yeah. on this and, it's okay. that's and on purpose. I come and a lot of where I settle is Davin's way of doing it isn't wrong I've got my way of doing it, which is gonna be, I just soon cut a flat rate across everywhere on that field, retain a little more build in that low testing area, invest more in my low testing area, and skimp a little bit on my higher testing area of that field and cut that flat rate off. Cutting the build portion is gonna cut a little more on the the lowest testing area of the field and a little less on the highest testing area of the field. Mm -hmm. In the end, based on what we know about the fertility, we're, we're splitting hairs. I mean, that's really, yeah. I, in the end, I don't expect any yield difference between what I've done and what Davin's done. Right. We're gonna, if Davin cuts in six years, I'm not even concerned about really catching up. I, I mean, I tell that to guys all the time. If I've got single digit phosphate numbers and I've got double digit <laughs> potassium numbers in a field in a, in a yeah. typical normal yes. CEC yeah. type field yeah. where where I expect to have numbers that are four and five times what I've got. I'm going to be honest, you're not going to do it in four years. No. You may not be able to do it in eight years. It didn't get to that point in eight, <laughs> yes. ten. It took 20, 30 years of a fertility system that was below what we were moving to get to that point. And it's it's a long-term, like I said, it's a long-term investment. And so, so I'm, yeah, I mean, it's just. I think you've just got to, it,
3: with NutriTrack, we remember what we did. Say, mm-hmm, okay, a couple yes. years ago, we did this fertilizer prices maybe go back down and we say, okay, now we're going to yep. try to put more out there for building. Now you can only do so much, right? You know, you no, don't build sure. so much in a year, but we can uh, try to make sure we're, we're doing the best that we can.
1: Yeah. And, and, and but, climbing that ladder that Thad said that, yeah. you know, we've slid down and that's, that's the sticker shock that a lot of guys deal with <coughs> that when they come in, they picked up a new piece of ground, whatever it was, I mean, we've been mining that sucker for the last 20 years, and, and you're exactly right. You're not going to fix it overnight, but you want to. Like, that, that's human nature. Like, yeah. I want to go in there and I'm going to fix it, right?
2: Yeah. And yeah, it's not going to happen. And I think that's part of what the, the NutriTrack program is about and getting into that four year sampling cycle. A part of that plan is we're going to yeah. correct yeah. as we sample. So, yeah, we didn't fix it in the four years. We see, all right, were we on the right track? And these samples confirm where yeah. we're at. Yeah. And we're going to correct our reps as we go through that process and and so I don't ultimately it comes back to looking at that portfolio as a And I I get what you're saying Adam but I'm going to push back on it I don't I can't look at my individual field by field reps and have an emotional decision about that I need to bring it down to my whole farm investment this is what I'm willing to do and then analyze it where am I going to get the most return for my money mm-hmm. across that and let the chips fall where they are. And it may be that I've got some fields that are way higher than my budget and some fields we're going to cut back. And, you know, we can start having conversations about rental and I've got some fields that I'm managing with the landowner that um, I feel like in the next year or two ownership's going to change and I'm not very comfortable with that. And maybe we need to start yeah. looking at uh, just probably maybe I'm going to move to crop removal. On that field or something like that, if I feel that I don't have a long term comfort with that, I mean it's not a, I and so there's a lots of things that can play into that, and it, a lot of it comes with being honest with your goals yes. on those each of those fields, right. and knowing and being honest with yourself what your goals are those on those fields are, and with the person that's helping you to play in that. If you're working with somebody in MFA, if you're trying to do it on your own, that's great too, but understanding that. Having that advisor that can help.
1: Yep, those drive are the, those. Decisions. I mean, those are the business decisions that make the world go round. Mm-hmm. And um, you, you know, like you said, that that is it, having as many of those knowns as possible. And and I think what's going to happen this year is just, it will highlight that um, that what you know we always say and and it's absolutely true, which is that the cheap you know the best fertility dollar that you can spend is is soil testing. And I I say that over and over again because when you make when you make one of those decisions like what you just mentioned for your farm's bottom line, you know that you're doing the right thing for that spot. And otherwise, again, you're just kicking stuff out there blind. So it's just I think just highlight some of those things this year. But no, I appreciate that. Yeah, that's exactly correct. So,
3: so we've been talking about investment in fertility. I think one thing we haven't talked about yet, and maybe you're going to is this particular year, there's not a whole lot of pieces of iron out there to buy. Yeah. You know, there's there, we can focus on some of that stuff too, is that, you know, there may not be that tractor or planter that you, maybe you need, but uh, it's not out that We have to use what we've had going last year, going forward another year or two, because it's just physically not available. So yep. if we've got the P and K might think about investing that
1: way. No, for sure. I mean, I, yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, every the machinery market is insane right now, and uh, if you've paid attention to anything, you can't you can't buy even close to what you could buy two years ago for the same, or even you know, not even talking the same money. I mean, at all. So when you look at long term investments, you know, I you know, I, I don't think buying cows when they're high is a good idea. Same thing. I don't think buying tractors when they're extremely high is a good idea, no matter how much you think you need to, you know do something from a tax purpose or whatever. I mean, it's just not a good idea. That's not a great long-term investment. You're going to lose money on that piece of equipment. Um, Whereas it's hard to say that you're going to lose money on long-term fertility. And
3: I also think very few pieces of equipment actually help you grow more bushels. Like it might help you do something faster. Yeah. Not better, maybe, but faster. Um, But whereas whereas P and K would generally always help you raise more bushels and help go to that bottom line. The way i think about it anyway. oh
1: yeah sure there's one or two pieces of equipment that can have an effect on your overall crop yields yeah um it's certainly not everything sitting in the shed for sure and that's a completely separate discussion <laughs> That that brush a road i probably shouldn't go down right now <laughs> but anyway there's yeah there's only one or two pieces so uh We've gotten long, but that that's okay. Uh, what, uh, is there anything else that we ought to discuss real quick? Towards I don't I don't even know how to wrap this one up, Cameron. But I, I think it's just a good kind of roundtable discussion on on thought processes.
3: I, on your notes, you said something about fertility on lease ground, which I think we we talked about just very on the edges. We did. I think it's. There are some growers out there that are getting rental agreements. Like my my folks have rented out a lot of their crop ground now, and they have an agreement with the landlord that it needs to test very similarly to what it tested when they took a when they got a hold of it, like with mm-hmm. soil sampling. So you're not mining the ground. So yep. that's something to keep in mind. If if you can get, if especially if you're on a maybe a one third, two third with a guy, maybe you can talk them into because it's going to help everybody if we get that out there and people think about. Sometimes on lease ground, I, I can't make this investment and in build. Maybe that's true. We have other aspects where we can put on just yield removal if that's the case. And so it's still important to fix your pH, but you've got several things. I think there's enough lease ground out there, obviously, that that's something to hit on. Is we've got stuff to help with that, too. That's the only thing I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And the only other thing I was, you know, I wrote down, the said it, you know, the NutriTrax is, you know, our NutriTrax system is a four year system. And like he said, we think about, you sometimes you get that sticker shock of, oh, here's my levels after I did my soil sampling your first year nutrient system, and they want me to do a four-year build. Well, how am I gonna do that? Well, we didn't like we said, we didn't get those levels down in four years. We did it a long time. And so, really, what I wanted to just bring back, we've talked about row crops basically this whole time, but this affects cattle producers as well. When we're thinking about pasture and hay ground, you know, we get guys in, we have that conversation with them about your hay ground, you know, how how impressive NutriTrack can be on being able to help you produce more hay, especially be able to get cattle in. Um, My dad is a prime example. I got him enrolled in NutriTrack. He saw his levels, and, you know, with the first four-year build, he was like, there's no way I can do this. And I said, I understand that, but you got to think about this hay ground and pasture has been neglected um, for years. And so we have to understand that, especially on that piece, a four-year build can definitely scare somebody, but it's not a matter of we have to make it up in four years. It's let's set our mark and then the next four years when we recycle it, see what we've got and continue to build. Taking build the samples apart. on a lot of that
3: forage, ground, pasture, forage, whatever, uh, really just shines a light on we just need a bunch of P&K. We fix, fix our pH. It's just been, it's Correct. been neglected uh, it, yeah. it just for a lot of – it just has. So it just shines a light on that, hey, we need to put a little more P&K out here. Fix our pH. You'd be amazed at what that does to your forage production. Jared Harding's got some crazy stories about increasing – uh, the amount of hay pulled off ground that, that, that went into NutriTrack. Um, so there's a lot
1: of good examples out there where it, it really pays like Cameron said. Yeah. Turn the bus around. That's the way I look at it. We've been driving down the hill for 20 years. Let's turn it around. And if we, we don't have to drive right back up the first, you know, initially, but let, let's, let's turn it around and, and start going uphill. So that anything else you want to add real quick?
2: i know i mean i don't know we've talked about a lot of different things no, I, I, keep talking for a while. I, I don't have anywhere to go
3: yeah i can talk about this <laughs> yeah i, I so. can talk about this a lot i, <laughs> love, I love NutriTrack <laughs> and, and how it can help growers so i can talk all so,
2: day I, yeah i mean i just enjoy having conversations about fertility and helping folks make decisions you're not i'm not going to sit here and tell you that you have to follow the first set of recommendations you get to a T and that's the only way to achieve success. That's right. Where it, where it comes from is like we said, I mean it's just, David said it best, just taking that plan, taking that time to think through why you're doing what you're doing and then and then you can start making intelligent adjustments from there mm-hmm. and, and you're gonna be successful. I mean it's no different, we see it in a lot of different ways If in lots of different things in farming. If you take the time to manage an item, it's gonna pay rewards. Fertility is one of those things that it's easy to get stuck and not manage it. It's easy to just fall back on what we've always done because it's because it's old, it's not flashy, we don't we're not the science of fertility hasn't necessarily changed just huge bunches, but in the last 20 30 years but you know things change but not tremendously and just thinking about what we do and why we do it i think pays yeah. big dividends
1: well i think that's what that's what i hope in in what we've discussed today I, I know we've we've gone around a lot but i think there's a couple things like good takeaways and um, and i think one of the big ones is is honesty in those planning conversations is probably one of the things that I want somebody to take from today um, on the advisor th- side of things, if you've got, if you've got some hefty wrecks, let's, let's walk through that with the grower on what their long-term plan is on all those farms. And let's get off of, it's easy for us to, it's like, oh, yep, got it sampled. Here's our sample data. Here's what we need to do. Uh, let's have a little more of a long-term discussion with that grower on, on what's going on on each one of those farms. What's he seeing? What's his bottom, like, there's a way to have those business discussions, right? And on the grower side of things, like looking back on it, they don't get to see all those backside emotions. The, the crop advisor doesn't get to see all those backside emotions that you go home at night and have, okay? And so bring those to the table as best that you possibly can and try to just be honest in discussions about how you're looking at it, right? And, and then that, that's going to make that person a better advisor to your operation and vice versa. Yep.
3: yep.
2: Yep. And I would tell you, you know, if you're thinking about your budget and thinking about things you're adding to your farm next year, we get hit from a lot of different directions. You're going to hit with a lot of things that say, use X product because it's going to make you better. It's new. It's exciting. Yep. Use XYZ. It's adding, you know, in this yield contest, winners using it. And I will tell you that that yield contest winner is a good manager and they've taken care of the basics mm-hmm. focus make sure you have the basics in hand before you start looking to add that extra $10 yeah. $15 product because if you haven't done a good job of managing the basics and don't have your bases covered there that's probably not gonna be it's not gonna have the same effect for you yes. as having that that additive effect that foundation
3: fundamentals are just so important.
2: You're exactly right. That's a lot better (laughs) than I could have put it. um, And so you've got that brittant piece that you're worried about that's a year to year lease that the fertility isn't so hot on. I'm probably not gonna spend $15, $20 an acre on that extra product because I don't think, I know my crops already, I've already got one hand tied behind my back there and there's not that many silver bullets out there Right. well I don't know if there's any silver bullets out there it all comes yeah. down to managing your basics make sure your basics are in place and then once you've got yeah. that done then you can start okay what's next yeah what should sure. I manage more intensively You're after right this? when the whenever
1: that I always hate when they come out with some report that the AG economy barometer has gone up or whatever because it just seems like that makes the wolf circle more with those products and companies and the snake oil yeah yeah um no it really does it's just like oh there's more money to be had on the landscape this is the year we're going to launch our whatever product that's four mm-hmm. bushel an acre better but yeah you're trying to sell it to some guy who's got a ph of five two you know <laughs> yeah. it, it's yeah. that's the truth i mean it, it's um you know we're like yeah so never mind the
3: roots on that five two soiled or yeah knobby and knurled up and can't even you know can't hardly yeah. take in
1: water yeah so yeah just burnt back essentially. Exactly. Yeah. So you, yeah, I know it, it's hard to make, it's hard to make fertility sexy, right? It doesn't fly mm-hmm. itself. You don't push a button and slide it across and it takes off and flies around and presses all your buddies.
3: Maybe that's learned. Cause you talked about that. When I first started with MFA, I got into this because we did a lot of stuff with equipment. It was cool. Like making tractors drive themselves and planners do this yep. stuff. I don't like that part anymore. I love the data. I love the fertility. I love helping growers try to place fertility better so they can raise more bushels and, and, and have these 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 yields that they didn't have before that you could really never essentially accomplish with equipment. That's and that's a total, I never thought I'd hear myself say that, but that's that's what I really like is is helping the farmers with that data piece and, and managing that fertility and, and helping those guys. So
1: Yeah, I, I agree. And we we've mentioned rented farms a a, a few mm-hmm. times. I I think it's different with every landowner, and I think most most growers, you probably know your landowner, right? You know what your landowners are comfortable with, and and discussions to be had from you know from those relationships. I think there's probably a reasonable number of landowners who um, you may assume something that may not be true. I, I think there are a reasonable number who would not be opposed to at least looking at what and being involved in the discussion that you're having on, on crop planning, right? Um, And to the point of at least sharing what's going on out there, right? And uh, I think you might be surprised what would come from some of those conversations. And so I think just don't be afraid to communicate is, is my typically, typically my advice. Now we all know personalities that maybe wouldn't deal well with that, right? But I think a general number of folks would be open to, at least the communication of, hey, your farm's been mined, right? It's, that's a hard conversation to have, but, but it, it, you know, uh, let's stand up and be the one to have it, I guess. All right. We've been trying to summarize for 15 minutes now. I don't know that we've done a good job. <laughs> <laughs> I don't
3: know who edits these have things. Have a plan. But I feel you know, the if,
2: yeah. If the summary yeah. is get a plan. Have some logical sense to what you're trying to accomplish with your fertility yep. and then use that plan to guide your fertility plan for this fall.
3: Yeah. Try to think about it as a portfolio, portfolio like FAD like sure. said.
2: Yep.
1: Did we nail it, Cameron?
0: Absolutely. Okay. I, I, I thought of other <laughs> things we could say, but we just keep on summarizing. So. <laughs> I know.
1: I know. Okay. We're going to play Stump the Staff Agronomist. Cameron's the reason he's been so quiet is he's been studying over there. <laughs> he's been
0: studying I'm nervous so, more than anything yeah. well
3: I will say I told I told my wife about this and she said that if I lost I also I have to donate in Cameron's name oh, no. it, <laughs> it, oh, Ronald McDonald no. House so, <laughs> okay. I think that, that's our that is our Ronald McDonald House yes yep,
1: that is our MFA Cares charity um, so yes uh, good things all around hopefully you guys have have fun with this okay dad you need a pen and a paper there um, okay I've got five questions and we'll we'll see we'll see who does what here okay so question one base saturation is defined on a soil test as the sum of the base cations held onto the soil exchange sites divided by the total cec and that's expressed as a percentage name those four base cations let to read one more time base saturation is defined on a soil test as the sum of the base cations held onto the soil exchange sites Divided by the total CEC and then expressed as a percentage. Name those four base cations. All right,
0: Cameron. What do you got? Uh, Calcium, magnesium, potassium, and phosphorus. No. Which is not right. (laughs) (laughs) Davin, what do you got? Ah, you can't change your answer now.
1: What did you have earlier? No, I I had two... I was
3: trying to get it down to four because I had five. Okay. I I had PK. Five's five, correct. Magnesium, calcium, and nitrate. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't know. I don't study a lot of that. Okay.
2: Thad, what do you got? The answers Adam has is potassium, calcium, magnesium, and hydrogen. Nope. Sodium is the fifth one.
1: Sodium is?
2: Hydrogen is in your CEC.
1: Correct. Correct. The answer is calcium, <laughs> magnesium, potassium, and sodium are the four I was looking for. I there. had calcium potassium and, magnesium 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 and, and nitrogen. Well, I I guess I was wrong.
3: Hydrogen, yeah, you didn't
1: have hydrogen is, is yeah, hydrogen is, is not what it is not considered a base cation
2: in the in the definition of base I guess saturation. it's not a base. I think Thad won right.
3: that one, too. All right.
2: Yeah, I I will agree with you. Hydrogen is not a base. Okay. So you All had you to that wrote that. it wrote down though.
0: What's that? He did have all 5 rows. I know he had all
1: 5. I'm like I'm definitely giving that to that. I'm not uh, I'm definitely I'm definitely not giving it to you two. <laughs> That's fine. All right. Which crop has the highest per bushel nitrogen requirement? Corn, Milo, wheat, or sunflowers? Which crop has the high, highest per bushel nitrogen requirement? Corn, Milo, wheat, or
2: sunflowers? All right, we're, we're going to start with Thad this time and go back back around the other way. I honestly don't know what Sunflowers is, so I'm going to say Wheat of the other three. Okay. Wheat. I have Wheat wrote down. Wheat. Everybody got it right.
1: Yeah, people don't think about that, but it is it's like, is it two? Yeah, I think it's closer to two. Um, way higher than corn. Yeah. Okay. Number three, which soil type would likely encounter the best utilization from applied potassium fertilizers? best utilization from applied potassium fertilizers? Is that a clay, a clay loam, a silt loam, or a sandy loam? Which soil type would likely encounter the best utilization from applied potassium fertilizers? Clay, clay loam, silt loam, sandy loam? I haven't started with Dan, with uh, Davin yet. Davin. I wanna go. go with sandy loam. Sandy
2: loam. Cameron. I have clay loam wrote down. I had sandy loam with Davin. <coughs> Cameron. You're wrong. I'm wrong. <laughs>
1: <laughs> sandy loam is the correct answer. Yeah. From an applied perspective. From a place will yes. bind correct. them up and hold
2: on to it, that's, that's gonna be the yep. sandy
1: tends to yeah. That's yes. correct. Okay. And I'm gonna give you plus or minus a four inch buffer on this. What is the average rooting depth of soybean? I have a number and I'm gonna give you plus or minus four inches. Where was the research done? I mean, was this done? This, Iowa, this Iowa, was, it was, done? Listen, was this done in Iowa or Illinois, or was this done in Mexico, Missouri? What's what is your the source for this? Yeah. trying to ask people questions. Yeah, There, there has to be somebody who asks the question, and there has to be a, an answer that's on my paper. <laughs> who starts this time?
0: Uh, Cameron starts. I have ten inches. Okay, sixteen. Sixteen. And I put fourteen down.
1: Okay. Those two are both in the four inch. <laughs> eighteen inches is the answer that I had on my paper. He must have done this in Iowa or something. Uh, tell yeah, 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 And so I said, plus or minus. Majority of Missouri is not eighteen inches. I can tell you
0: that.
1: <laughs> All right, last question. Last question. or uh, Cameron, I I don't know that you can even come back. That's so okay. Uh At what grow at what growth stage does corn use the most water? Is it blister, milk, pollination, or early dent? At what growth stage does corn use the most water? Blister, milk, pollination, or
2: early dent? Dad, what do you got? I had not wrote anything down. I'm going to say pollination. I don't know. Pollination. I have blister. The answer is pollination. I
1: mean pollination I is when the corn uses the most water.
0: I had a bad day today. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I, I think I got uh, one right.
1: You did get one right. Um, I appreciate you looking at the positive side of things. <laughs> um I think Thad is going to take the day because I'm pretty sure I Thad got I all five. I got five British out day. of 5 I'm pretty sure. <laughs> I'm pretty sure Thad has the day. Which is I not surprising more... to me knowing the questions <laughs> the that professor? I put no. together. Yeah. <laughs> but
0: anyway.
1: Wow. Uh,
3: I had four, right? I just want that on the record. Yeah. I,
1: I knew I was going to have to come out swinging with questions today. This was a with bad the, test uh, day. <laughs> with the uh, guests we had on the podcast. Hopefully, everybody learned something from listening to those questions or at least listening to the banter and how much crap they give me on uh, writing the questions. But uh, but hopefully, we got the wheel spinning there a little bit. Gentlemen, thanks for coming by and having this discussion. I know um, a very... Passionate topic, right? For for both of you guys. And so um I think that comes through in, in what we've talked about today. And and so I appreciate your time and I appreciate you coming on here. So yep thanks. Yeah, thank, thank you. Thank you. No, I appreciate it. Enjoy yep. it. Thanks Bye. for passionate. having us on. Yep, yep. Thanks everybody for listening.
0: Thanks for listening to Made for Agriculture. Email comments and questions to podcast at mfa inc.com.